Hello, you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. My name's Hayden Taylor, and again, Rebecca and uh, James, neither of them are here, so in order to compensate, we've just brought the rest of the team on. So we've got basically everyone with us today. So how about you start by introducing yourselves? Uh, Matt Handrahan, Editor-in-Chief of the site. Uh, Brendan Sinclair, North American Editor. Okay. Uh, Christopher Dream, Publisher, GamesIndustry.biz. And Marie D'Alessandri, Academy Writer. I mean, I wasn't expecting everyone to give their job titles, but I suppose it's a nice change of I pace. Think, I, think I, start, um, I think I started <laughs> off that trend. Apologies. That's okay. You, you know, it's, uh, we're mixing things up a little bit. We're flying by the seat of our pants. We're just kind of seeing how we go. Um, I mean, this week, oh boy, what a week. Two, two very interesting stories. And I think it's probably best to start off with the... I'm not really sure how best to describe it in polite words, but let's just say Tim Sweeney said some things. I think some of those things are very, very questionable and have a lot to say about it, but I would like to maybe pass it out to the floor first and see if anyone else has perhaps got some more nuanced and perhaps politer things to say about his recent comments at the DICE keynote speech earlier this week. I don't know about nuanced and polite, but... I, I can kind of cover, I think, some of the, the more questionable bits. Um, he talked about politics and games, everyone's favorite discussion that we're not completely sick of. Um, and he said a number of things that really just kind of like, you know, you listen to something and then your, your eyebrow just goes sky high and you're like, what? This is going to be an issue. Um, and he, he talked about the, the need to separate the creative commentary in games from the marketing department. So he's saying we should get the marketing department out of politics. And that was one of the, the first ones that I was like, huh? And uh, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, when the marketing department is making something seem like it has a strong intentional political message, but in the end, it really doesn't. Like, yeah, using, using politics or current topics that are very divisive as a marketing hook when the the product doesn't actually justify it yeah that's that's kind of lame on on the other hand like if something's consciously political i don't i don't know how you market it like how, how do you market a movie like do the right thing without addressing race so it's it's sort of a a, a weird thing there and and the thing that he really really bugged me was when he was talking about how the world is really screwed up right now Right now, your political orientation determines which fast food chicken restaurant you go to, and that's really dumb. Mm. Just a collective sigh. Yeah. yeah. Bad. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that, that comment is boneheaded. I think that I, I only read some articles about it, and I think one of the things that sparked debate is wh- how faithfully his comments were covered. And I will say that some of the reports definitely don't, um, include some of his comments that, that, that do put a different slant on what he said. Having seen the video now, I think the reason I can understand why those comments were let out is because he completely contradicts himself. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, one of the most baffling things as well because at the start I was like, oh, that's what he's saying. I don't know why everyone was up in arms. And then he goes on to say the complete opposite thing because he actually opens by saying, we're going to have to accept that gaming is a platform for social discourse, whether we like it or not. He then goes on to, to talk about To Kill a Mockingbird and saying that's, a, that's an outlet, that's an outlet, for, that's a growing outlet for games and that should be a part of the industry. And then he goes on to say 
the thing about Martin that you just said, Brendan, which is kind of a weird thing to say because it, it really isn't possible, I don't think. But at least that might just be an idealistic comment. And then he just goes on to completely contradict a lot of it by saying that political politics has no place in games at all. And I suppose if you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, I think he just fumbled the talk, the speech. I think he, he had something he wanted to say and he did a very poor job of saying it. But I don't think that his whole speech does hold up to that scrutiny. Because the thing I thought was at a certain point, after the, the point he makes about marketing, I think if you just assume that every time he says games, he's talking about the marketing of games, then maybe you could see that, you could maybe see that see it as him just drilling down into his point about not using marketing departments to, and he said this on Twitter afterwards, to capitalise on division. I, I think that's what you were saying, Brendan, right? That if marketing departments are just using politi political division as, as just a cheap trick, effectively, to promote a game, that's bad, fine. But it doesn't hold up. When you listen to his whole speech, it can't all be about that because he makes some very blanket statements which genuinely say, we, we have no place talking about politics and games. Now, it is worth reiterating again, that is contradicted by the way he opened it when he actually explicitly said, games should emulate To Kill a Mockingbird. And he seemed to be talking about creators should have the power to, to, to put politics into games. But then he does go on and say that Epic shouldn't have a part to play in politics. But Epic makes a game. So I don't really understand what the hell he's talking about. And I think that, for me, that's, that's the crux of it. I don't think he did a very good job at all of explaining himself. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I, I didn't follow the whole thing very closely. So when I did catch up with it, I was already to be very angry about it because everyone seemed to be super angry about it. And I was mostly just confused. I think it's like exactly what you just said. He just contradicts himself quite massively throughout the entire thing. Um, and yeah, so I'm not I'm not angry. I'm just I just don't ha understand really how this happened because he's not just a random person on a stage is supposed to be having at least some sorts of authority on those topics. I'm not, not authority, but you see what I mean. So, mm -hmm. I don't know, he, he says things like, oh, employees can hold their own views and not be judged for that, but at the same time, he clearly says they probably shouldn't because they need, we need to divorce ourselves from politics and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because that, me, the company has a mission and everything has to work towards that mission, right? Like, there's a weird contradiction in there I, again. I, I'm, I, 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 mean, I, I thought it was, I mean, to be fair, yeah, watching his statement was very confusing. And then, but obviously, I only went to it backwards. I saw his tweets first, and then I went backwards to his, um, uh, uh, to his, uh, his actual video. And, it, and to me, I, I, to me, it just, it just seemed of him saying that Epic itself can't be overly political. And he actually says the reason why he feels they couldn't be political is because he's, he has thousands of employees who are of different political views. Um, and, uh, I thought, well, that's sort of fair enough. And then he's saying, look, creatives obviously can do that, express it in their creative ways. And I thought, well, that actually seems relatively, you know, reasonable. I mean, I, for instance, haven't drank in Weatherspoons um, ever since they decided to start putting leaflets on the tables promoting how great Brexit is. Um, so you can sort of, and I can imagine if I actually worked at Weatherspoons, I'd be particularly uncomfortable. And I can, you can see that when you see a company that decides it's going to be, it's going to take a, a, a big divisive political stance on something. Why? He'd be saying that that's probably not something a, a marketing department or a company should do in its own right but you know obviously their teams and their creatives can do their own thing and 
and that sort of stuff. I think that was I think in a way I thought he was trying to find some weird middle ground between people that think the game should be political, but companies but the companies are trying to protect themselves. Yeah, I but but then but then do we do we give him a pass for throwing his hat into the ring on such a such a big issue on such a public stage and seemingly not thinking it through because I think uh, the thing is Chris I'm with you like I actually do think that's what he was trying to say I don't think that's what he ended up saying I can understand why people took it a different way but if you do look at his tweets he says if a game tackles politics as To Kill a Mockingbird did as a novel it should come from the hearts of the creatives and not from marketing departments seeking to capitalise on division it's like okay Tim but what are you talking about there Give me some examples. Like what, what have you seen that's made you think of this? Right? Because I think it needs that because it's not quite clear the nuance of what he means. And, and this is a very nuanced issue. So nuance has to be in there. I mean, it's notable because he had this 35-minute talk. He didn't even talk about politics till 28 minutes, 30 seconds. And he was done with it by 30 minutes and 10 seconds. Like, it's amazing. He spent longer on visa payment charges. Like, it's, it, it, I, I think it was quite a cack-handed way to approach it. But then... You know, he do, I, I would implore everybody to read the tweets because he says, again, you know, when a company operates an ecosystem where users and creators can express themselves, they should be a neutral moderator. I mean, that's fine, but some of his other statements are not about platforms. They're just about general games as well. So it, I, I think the tweets are valuable and they're valid and, and, they, and I think they probably are him talking when he's had a chance to actually compose what he wants to say. Maybe he was nervous up on stage. I don't know. I mean, how did it strike you, Hayden? You haven't um, given us your thoughts yet. I mean, the, the, the thing with it is, it's kind of like what he intended to say and what he actually says, it kind of doesn't really matter because, like, he said what he said and it was confusing and it implied a lot of different things. So whether or not he actually meant to say that, like it's author it's kind of to get a bit like high-minded and pretentious it's like it's authorial intent versus death of the author right what he intended to say got lost in what he said which was a bunch of kind of confusing brief gibberish i mean the the thing that i found like perhaps most egregious was this whole idea that this is a quote from him where he says uh, described businesses as operating as neutral venues for entertainment and that's like, well, I mean, neutral is a political stance. Like, this is something that's been kind of discussed to death. Is like, apolitical is political. It's accepting the status quo and being like, hey, this is just fine. And it's like, massive corporations like Epic, they do have, you know, they've got thousands of employees and, you know, they're hugely profitable and they have an impact on, like, society and culture and the environment and things like that. For them to just be like, oh, it's, we're just neutral. It's like, well, you're not neutral. Like, you may not be putting out some sort of, I don't know, official stance on something, but you still kind of exist within, like, the ecosystem and have an impact on it. And so for you to just kind of divest all responsibility and say, this isn't our area, we shouldn't be involved in this, like, but you are involved in it. You are, as a giant company, both in the games industry and just a giant corporation on the planet, like you have an impact on the world around you and you have to kind of take that impact like responsibly. You have to be considerate of how you impact the world around you. So to just say uh, businesses are just neutral venues for entertainment is just irresponsible and not he true. He used the term either. divisive politics, though, didn't he? So I think, I mean, I don't think he was necessarily talking about things like capitalism or environmental. But 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 what's, what's, I, I, what's I, divisive I, for me, politics I, like? Who decides? I assume he's referring to Brexit, Trump, 
global conflicts, those sorts of those sort of things that actually, you know, heart, you know, the world is, you know, pretty split and it is, you know, at war over. I don't, I don't really think he's obviously talking about things like inclusivity, which, you know, they've publicly been in support of. Or Inclusivity is divisive for a lot of people. Yeah, no, but I know it's not. It's not really. I mean, it's, it's for, for some people on the far, far right. But I think most people think equality is obviously a good thing. If inclusivity wasn't such a big issue for so many people, we wouldn't have Trump and Brexit as it is. Oh, now, now, now we're getting in, now we get now we're getting into pedantry though because the the thing is he's referring to you know companies have to be inclusive they need to have loads of people that stuff's like normal business politics of course of course that sort of stuff is but when we're starting to bring in those sort of hang on but you're you're a capitalist company well yes of course they are and of course they're they're going to work with ESA on video game lobbying and that kind of stuff and all these sort of things are obvious um, obvious topics of stuff that businesses kind of have to follow because they're political yes everything's political but I think you know he's being very he's unfortunately you say the word politics and it means everything and then and then, every, then you get all these yeah well, be a bit, but yeah and again but but I don't think we should we should get, let him off the hook for th- he chooses the words he uses right? yeah I know he does but this is his choice of public statements so Epic is one of the very, very few companies who actually reacted to this whole uh, Blitzchunk controversy in October about supporting the Hong Kong protests and stuff like that. So I find it even more confusing that of all the people, mm-hmm. it is Epic CEO who would react saying, no, nah, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about politics. We should divorce ourselves from politics when he's the CEO of one of the very, very few companies who actually came out and said we shouldn't. Uh, we should let this guy support the Hong Kong protests. Pretty much, that's not what he said. Obviously, I don't remember what he said exactly, but you see what I mean. Like, so I, I, fi- I find it extremely well, I mean, weird. He, Everything but is he, weird. But he, yeah. So at the start, when he said we're going to have to accept the gaming as a platform for social discourse, he said that specifically in the context of the Blitz Chung incident. He he mm. said uh, right after saying an esports event can become a platform for someone to make a political statement, we're going to have to accept. Our, our industry is now a platform for this kind of social discourse, whether we like it or not. So I mean, so I, but I think this is the thing. Like I, I'm, I'm, I want to want to say like you know if if Tim Sweeney chooses to use the word politics and then, but he didn't really mean politics in that way. Then you know I, I want him to take him to task for that. But at the same time, I actually don't think he means what he's not saying. And I, I'm pretty clear on this: is that no games should deal in political subject matter. He's not saying that. Um, he actually explicitly says that games should do that, but it should be coming from the creatives. Where he gets lost, I think, is he seems to be drawing a line between companies like Epic and other companies. But he isn't really clear on what other companies. Because obviously, and he also says, we as companies should be divorced from politics. But House House is a company, right? A company can be three people. A company can be 3,000 people. You it's what I mean about nuance. Like he didn't really explain anything, any detail. And I can only assume it's because he doesn't want to upset people. You know, like when, when, he, when you say marketing departments shouldn't use, shouldn't seek to capitalize on division, I want him to say, I saw this happen. This is an example of that. That's not a good thing. He, he spends time picking apart Google um, for not being the for, for Android not being the open platform. That's a specific example. He doesn't go into any specifics here, and I think this is where he's fallen over. Not necessarily because he has these objectionable views on politics and games, but because I don't think he really gave it the time, the consideration, and the detail that a subject like this needs really to actually come across as forceful and a reasonable point. I mean, we're we're, we're doing a lot of supposition on his part. We're giving him either the benefit of the doubt or no benefit of the doubt. But the thing is, it shouldn't be this 
hazy what someone who had the opportunity to speak on this actually it meant. It was very he odd that he, he, said he, he took it. a couple of minutes to talk about a subject that is far more complicated. <laughs> and he know, he clearly knows it is because he, cause he mm. sort of, he's quite vague and suggests examples where things are different, but then he doesn't give any. So what, one thing I want to point out, though, is like at the, at the tail end of it, almost as an afterthought, when he says we as platforms should be neutral, he kind of lays out like, how that's supposed to look. And he says, you know, with like content moderation and stuff, have very clear rules for it and then treat decisions on it as almost like a judicial branch should be like a group within the company that is not beholden to the, to the other people within the company and makes the decisions almost in a vacuum. And like, I, I think that's actually not a terrible setup, but I do think that it's absolutely uh, a fantasy that your moderation guidelines will ever be so detailed as to clearly label what is okay and what is not. And I think it's also a fantasy that they will ever be neutral because they are always going to reflect your values and your judicial branches, the people that are making those calls on what's okay and what's not okay, it's going to reflect their values. So, like, yes, have that. Try and make them as clear as possible. But don't pretend that that all of a sudden you're not making any value judgments because you absolutely are in everything that you do. No, I, I think perhaps the one other thing I wanted to add is I wanted to loop back to this, this comment of his where it says the world is really screwed up right now. Right now, your political orientation determines what fast food chicken restaurant you go to, and that's really dumb. Like, I have a lot of problems with that comment as well because... Of all the things that makes the world really screwed up right now, it's not that people are boycotting a fast food chicken restaurant for like homophobic sort of <laughs> practices. It's the fact that like we exist in a world where these massive corporations are able to go around like funneling money into like hate groups effectively and that's just fine. So I really just take issue with like how dismissive he is of people kind of like pinning their flags to the mast and being like, this isn't okay. You know, like with Chris say he doesn't go to Weatherspoons anymore like I haven't been to Weatherspoons in I since Brexit basically I was like eh, I, I just I just don't want to go I don't want to give Tim Martin any money he's a piece of shit and he can't have my money <laughs> simple as um and but but it's like that's it's his comments like that it's like it, you know and it goes back to kind of this idea of you know let's be neutral it's like I I feel like companies especially big companies like they they profit off apathy because if you don't care about the implications of consuming whatever it is that they're making, then you can consume it as freely and as merrily as you like. Whereas if you start to consider the implications, and obviously there's no such thing as like ethical consumerism under capitalism, but even if you begin to consider the implications of supporting one company over another, for example, then it starts to get very complicated and companies start having to take stances on things or avoid taking stances on things. And so I think that's why Tim Sweeney wants to just kind of maintain this level of neutrality and discourage it because like, ultimately it's kind of bad for business yeah, yeah, that's, and that's it. he doesn't want that. But what's bad for business is sometimes good for everything else. Yeah. And so sometimes you, you need to kind of do what's but right, I, but I, was... I don't. I was quite puzzled by the the Chick Fil A comment anyway, because it, I mean, did I? I mean, if I'm let me tell me if I'm remembering this wrong. But he said we live in an age where 
you know, your political kind of um, slant will dictate which chicken restaurant you go to. And doesn't he not say yeah. the next line is like, and that has no place in games or something? And that's really dumb. Yeah, there's no reason to drag divisive politics into, into games yeah. at all. I mean, but, but so, but I don't understand what he means by that. I mean, uh, you know, this is a running theme. I really don't understand what he means. But <laughs> you know, like, what does he mean? Because that is an example of consumers boycotting something because of their political beliefs. He thinks that has no place. I, I took games. it as meaning. I took it as a criticism of the chicken restaurant, right? That's, I, t- I took it. I took it as. I took oh, it as him yeah, criticizing right. the restaurant for being doing the political thing that caused the boycott. Like, that's what I took. Yeah, that's what I took it as. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes that makes a lot more sense. Actually, I, I would assume that's well, the case. This is one of the this is one of the things that's interesting. Is like we've all come to different interpretations <laughs> of that yeah. statement. Yeah, that's not how I see like, it at all. Which, but yeah, okay. Yeah, which is because that's not how I interpreted it at all. So yeah. again, it. it it it, re- it really speaks to and i think actually this is perhaps the main criticism we've kind of spoken about it already but the main criticism of his speech of his whole talk is just like it's so loose and insubstantial and flaky so and all confusing. over the place and it's like and again it just kind of feeds into that sort of that attempt to like maintain the status quo don't rock any boats it's like do this but also do this and don't do this but also don't do this at the same time and it's like yeah. When you take a stance like that, one that is sort of status quo, one that is neutral, like it ends up being just a big pile of grey old nothing that says nothing and means nothing and is just confusing and pointless. Yeah. So I feel like it's just what a waste of everyone's time, I think, basically, Tim. Just what a waste of everyone's yeah, well, yeah, time. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, prob- that's probably one of the things, right? <laughs> I mean, as Marie pointed out, you know, the... Um, like backing backing Blitzchung in that thing shows that Epic is not is not a politically neutral company. Um, so you really have to question why he said what he said. And I and to be honest, I feel I haven't watched the whole talk. He seemed far more at home talking about other things than than that subject. I think that's why he kind of raced through it in two minutes. But maybe he just needed to fill up the time and didn't didn't know how to do the talk without addressing it. You know, like it, it could just be like like a couple of duff paragraphs in a in an article. You know, like that's that's kind of yeah. what it is. You know. <laughs> Um, if we didn't have anything else to add to sort of his, uh, I don't, I don't know what you would call it, his sort of brain fart at the end of his speech, um, I did actually want to kind of discuss briefly his comments around loot boxes because um, it's quite interesting because obviously Epic has, I guess, kind of led the charge in sort of the shift over to Battle Pass, which has been quite an interesting development um, because you know you you know exactly what you're getting with a Battle Pass, and he speaks a lot about um, kind of how engagement is the key and like with things like um like alternative monetization methods and with doing things like breaking down cross-platform barriers and that stuff like you know you people's people spend more time in the game they spend more money and it's you know it's it's better for everyone because you can play with your friends and the epic makes extra cash and stuff like that and he's he's kind of right but the more that i look at things like battle pass the more i see them as just a different kind of problematic from loot boxes because it creates this gamification element on top of the game where you're basically playing two games one is the one you go in and shoot people and you know fart around in and then one is the one where it's you have your checklist that you have to go in every single day and do it you know i I recently returned to league of legends for the first time in a while and it's got this it's got all of these sort of like achievements and crafting and things like that and it's like it's the meta game on top of the game 
craft is the thing that keeps you coming back every single day and that's the thing that makes it I don't want to use the word addictive because that's it's not clinically addictive I don't think but that is the thing that makes people come back and spend perhaps more time than they should and I think seeing you know seeing the discussion around Fortnite addiction last year it it does it does really kind of raise the question of like yeah is the, is this approach just a different kind of yes. bad over something There's like your answer, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Like, yeah. I agree. Been, <laughs> we've been designing for addiction, or sorry, for engagement, since the beginning of the industry, pretty much, right? And mm. it was okay. Mm. It seemed when it was just Tetris, you know, or Diablo, the original one, and or Civilization. It's like people are getting really into these games, and there's just one more turn, things like that. But then once he started mm. to like be able to tie the business model directly to how much engagement uh, people people were having, then then you really kind of like I think uh, heightened all of those ethical concerns. And we've been so aggressive since then in in pursuing this that I mean we we even turned to just straight up ripping off casinos and, and slot machines and gambling tactics and it's it's all sort of on the same same umbrella of you know manipulating player behavior to maximize revenue and so like i i i see it as kind of all questionable i i think it's it would be good to move away from loot boxes and it's good that there are people like Tim Sweeney who are very influential in the industry looking at a standard industry practice right now and saying hey guys this is kind of gross do we really want to be gross like that like that's that's a positive thing but I don't think um, I would like to see that kind of level of introspection also applied to some of the other uh, equally lucrative tactics and trends that that people have been pushing in in games lately yeah, I think uh, it's like you say. It's, he's kind of pointing out the aspect that's gross, and then not thinking like saying, you know, let's abandon this one gross practice and look at this other shiny new, completely unproblematic thing that we've got. Come over here; it's great. I promise. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't I don't know if I have a, an opinion that that really uh, would bear up much scrutiny, but I have I do think a lot about the fact that you know th these business models have arisen in part because there's far, far too many people that place zero value on playing video games. Um, it's, it's a kind of, it, it goes hand in hand. The, the people that, that fought, that, that, you know, let's not say Fortnite, because I think we can accept that the Battle Pass is, is a better way of approaching this stuff than loot boxes, which is to say it's, it's ever so slightly less worse than incredibly fucking bad. But uh, it... Though these sorts of mechanisms exist because there are a lot of people that will play those games hundreds of hours and not pay a penny for them. And, and the, the, the least problematic business model, the one that, that removes all of that stuff is the one where you pay like 50 quid or 60 bucks or whatever up front. You don't need any of that stuff because that's how the game is monetized. But that was proved to be a, a business model that is invalid because it can severely limits the number of people that you can address as a market or because the the industry particularly the AAA levels economics were too ill-disciplined to uh, to live within it um, so you have that issue of like it, it's 
obviously we want it to be better but at the same time like i feel like the industry has an issue with accepting the fact that you know if you've got 247 i was at a conference like uh, last week where there's a talk from king and they said they've got 247 million players each month and the thing is like yes you've got 247 million players each month but they're not 247 million people that actually care about the experience you know they're people passing the time they're not people spending money this this and that and and you know candy crush is a game where you could where you could say that maybe the people have been you know educating themselves in casinos a little bit or whatever but but the point being that like these things go hand in hand you can't have a game that's played by 90 million people who don't see it as worth even 10 cents of their money without a model that tries to get the most it possibly can out of the rest of them um it's it's a it, the the industry's in a very very tough spot now because it's it's dug itself into this position and it's really really hard and I, and I guess I feel it's like you know we'll dig our way out or whatever like that that whole Simpson line you know bottom of a hole <laughs> let's just keep on digging till we come out the other side you know well, I think, that's I uh, think I think seems to be yeah it. I think it is a in a way I when I saw the popularity of when you saw the popularity of Fortnite there was a bit of a uh, this is this is when something like that happens. You've basically trained an entire generation of AAA game consumers that they don't have to buy games, and and then that makes things. Then it makes you know. I mean, Activision are about to do a Call of Duty battle royale, right? A free to play Call of Duty, and we're starting into a world where they're all having to go right. How do we, you know, EA's big shooter last year was a free to play game, and it, you you're getting them having to now spend all these massive the amount of money they spent on AAA games. They used to charge fifty dollars for although EA microtransaction. Microtransact? Oh, that's not the right word. But basically, um, put all that into all their premium games anyway. But um, in there, the industry almost is almost in a weird trap. I, I sort of look at the things. I look at all the discussion. And I don't disagree with what Hayden's saying at all around loot boxes. Uh, it's about battle pass, and I just go. Uh, yeah, but is, what's the solution here except for going back to the to, to buying fifty? And the thing is, I don't know if we can. I, I don't. I, I feel like it's it's shutting the shutting the door if the horse is bolted, sort of thing. It's um. It's, it's finding this so, mystery business model. You ask about how do we go back, and it, it reminds me of um, what happened recently with NBA 2K20. So after years of everyone playing it and complaining, like, oh my gosh, you're so aggressive with um, the grind to, to develop my player in the big my career mode or whatever. I need to just spend so much time playing the game. It gets miserable if I want to even buy new sneakers or a new hairdo or whatever. So they, because that was pushing so many people to, to buy virtual currency, they were complaining about it and take two decided this year, like for 2k 20, okay, we're going to, we're going to do a different, um, a less, a less aggressive push for that. I guess we don't want it to feel like a grind. We want you to enjoy playing and, uh, take two's last financial results. They, they had to say like, okay, we know 2k 20 was, breaking unit sales records for us we no longer think this is going to be the most lucrative installment of the series ever because we made some choices with the microtransactions and they haven't been as lucrative as we might have hoped so like they tried to dial it back and they tried to to be uh you know they, they recognized like oh wow this is this is kind of making our players miserable so they dialed it back and then they got hit for it in the pocketbook and that's like it's unfortunate that they weren't rewarded for trying to make a more enjoyable play experience but that's also very telling as to the kind of play experiences we've been making in recent years to produce all these you know 
record revenues that the publishers have had. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that no one is, you know, I don't think any of us would, I mean, I don't play free-to-play games. I don't, you know, I, I've tried. I, I don't like the Battle Pass. Like, it, I, but, but I think it, it's, you know, it's a, what Chris was saying. Like, I, I, that is not the way of playing games that I'm used to. And it's not one that I can acclimatise to. I'm happy to spend some money on games. I think the issue is that for the industry to backtrack now will cause the ruination of businesses, the loss of jobs, the, ru you know, the, the impact on... The, on the human scale like it's it it, it it it's absolutely an ethical issue um but what chris says about shutting the door after the horse is bolted is right i mean it's not well if we just reverse these decisions everything will be fine again it won't it will cause the collapse of half the games industry like it's not it's not as easy as that you know? if the only reason we can support this many people in the games industry right now is because we're exploiting our customers then I mean, it seems like there should be a correction at some point, and I would, I would love to find ways to do that 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 don't wind up putting people out of work. Obviously, but I'm not, I'm not going to have the most sympathy if uh, you know, if if Take Two or, or Activision's financials don't look so great when they stop really putting the screws to their customers here or dropping shady business practices. Yeah. I mean, there are, and you know what, there are examples of games that don't, you know, that are affecting, that aren't free to play, but have these wonderful service-based models that actually generate uh, money. And I've, you know, Super Smash Brothers has been selling, you know, Mario Kart. You know, there is, there is a way that you can support your game post-launch with an active development team that can sort of still keep making you money without having to charge people. Um, loot boxes and stuff it's just it doesn't work for every game it doesn't work for every genre you have you know not every game is as big as Call of Duty or as big as Smash Brothers or as big you know that can that can do that kind of thing and, and I think the industry is amazing because this has been a conversation that's been going on for half a decade I think at least we're still trying to find it and <laughs> trying to find this wonderful balance and some games are super generous and you think, oh, you know, they give us so much and they demand so little. And, you know, a lot of the time gamers are actually happy to spend money on anything that they do because, you know, what they've, what they've given them is so generous in some regards. And there's, I think also, you know, and then there's other games that are just ruthless in terms of getting every penny out of them. But it's interesting. I think there's like things like the subscription models that are starting to crop up, whether they will have a, um, uh, a sort of a impact upon how aggressive microtransactions are in the, in the future. It's and particularly around Game Pass and stuff that sort of stuff. I'm not so sure about how popular they'll be in mobile. I'm still not entirely convinced by that. Yeah, well, I think we end up in in a position where when we talk about these issues, we we talk about the 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 very the, the most um, I don't want to say greedy, but the companies that that really want to be like multi billion dollar like entities. We end up talking about them as if they are the industry, and there, there's a lot of companies that. You know, would be happy with the kind of revenue that maybe a, a like a, a decent subscription model would provide them with. But you know, loot boxes were not used by companies that wanted to make ends meet. They were they were sewed into the industry. They became a fundamental part of the industry by companies that wanted billions and billions and billions. And I, on just on a personal level, political level, I just don't like that. Like I, I you know, it's not 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 the way not the way that I I like to look at the world. But the, the fact of the matter is that, that you know, for Tim Sweeney to, I, I'm, I'm happy that Epic pushed it, you know, pushed the battle pass in as, all, as, a, as a better way of doing it. But 
but the fact of the matter is you know his companies are a lot like epic that have made it a problem to be solved in the first place like companies that want hundreds and hundreds of millions of players and mark billions and billions and billions on the bottom line it's the line. growth problem right it's the thing is that these big corporate these big particularly publicly owned companies need to be showing that they're getting bigger every year except games are costing more money and the audience isn't growing to compensate for that increase in cost of you know increase in the cost of games and and if anything, it's actually a broader games industry problem. Maybe we should be diversifying the content that we're creating to bring in more people into the industry, thus, um, thus creating um, uh, more money for ourselves without actually having to charge, you know, more and be more aggressive in our in the ways that we do things. Um, well, growth, growth, that sort of eternal quest for yeah. growth is a capitalism problem, mm -hmm. not just a oh, yeah. games industry problem, and it's the thing. It's the thing that will basically make the world eventually collapse in on itself. <laughs> but and you what, know, what business models uh, will be it, using when that happens? That's the question, eh? Well, yeah, and presumably like just a barter <laughs> yeah, system. That's right. Which you know is fine. It's like I, I have, I have one <laughs> bottle of clean water. How much will this get me in the irradiated wasteland? <laughs> Uh, probably not very much um, speaking of irradiated wastelands uh, E3 <laughs> smooth segue no yeah, yes that works <laughs> I mean ba based, based on the rate at which people appear to be abandoning E3 this year anyway you could be forgiven for thinking it was an irradiated wasteland uh, Sony obviously announced earlier this year that uh, they were pulling out and Jeff Keighley old Jeff the stalwart of E3 I, I don't really know what Jeff Keighley does for E3, but I'm, I'm aware he does something. And he's not doing it this year. Oh, um, no. Guys, what's all that I, about? I thought there was a, I'm not going to name the name, but there was a prominent journalist that retweeted Jeff's news and went, wow, huge loss. I'm like, man. Like, don't, I, I love <laughs> no. it. <laughs> don't be wrong. I, I, I will not miss Jeff it. Jeff leaving is a, is a symbolic thing. Um, it's, uh, you know, he's been there 25 years. He's making a bit of a statement. But, um, you know, he programmed a program a, a, a stage show you know there's lots of people that can program stage shows e3 or survive without jeff without playstation not so much but um but without you know i, I thought it was but I, I think interestingly actually the e3 stuff when it came out there was a few things that confused me about it one it looks like the same as last year in terms of the big companies that have signed up there are you know a number one miss you know, there's no reference to deep silver or 505 or those sort of companies but they tend to crop up later anyway like all the big companies that were there last year seem to be there this year. They're still missing the same ones. So whatever their plan is, hasn't won them back round. That's, that's, what it's, that's what it states. What confused me is Jeff made a big comment to us in our interview where he said that, um, uh, that uh, you know, Ether needs to be more of a digital event. It needs to be more online and less physical, less about boobs. And I agree with that. Obviously, I think that's a very easy thing to say because a lot of money is made from boobs. And not a lot of money is made from live streams, so I think I think there's a there's a thing there, there's a business model challenge there, um, as you know these things happen. But when the E3's announcement eventually came and they started talking about digital um, uh, digital stuffing and live streaming from the show, I thought well, this sounds exactly like what Jeff said the show should be. So why did he? I mean, I'm sure it's in the nuance. I'm sure it's in the detail, devils in the details. But actually, what E3 ended up presenting was a show that seems to be even more online to be even more digital so I was a bit confused as behind um, Jeff's real reasoning for not going um, but um, yeah I mean I didn't I thought it was I thought the only thing that was not a good look and I know it wasn't we've all done it we've accidentally published something a little bit early but was then putting the website live early there were a couple of weeks after saying that you know we've got a security service we're not going <laughs> to be more careful with your data and oh hang on we've accidentally pushed the site live um, but um, 
that wasn't a good look um, but but um but uh, you know i didn't actually in the end when i looked at it all from my perspective and I, I actually really like e3 so i often come into these conversations a little bit more biased towards them as opposed to actually the general media view at the moment which seems to be against them is that i thought it looks the same as last year um, which isn't great but it, it, it doesn't feel like they've lost anything except for jeff uh looking the same as last year when last year was a end of console cycle year and this year is a new consoles coming out year i think is in itself like that that if you're treading water you are actually losing ground but i don't think that's the point though because i think it's just a bit too narrow isn't it e3 could die without the competitor um i i feel like what brendan's saying is right right like if if on a new console year e3 doesn't have the two companies releasing the consoles i'd say that's a pretty big blow to its relevance as a it has a, it, it does, it's it does have xbox yeah but it doesn't have playstation that's, that's, yeah. that's what i'm saying if it doesn't have both of them then what then that's a big blow to its relevance it had them both of them last time the time before that and the time before that and that's not a fluke that's a signal of the way that the industry and media and everything else has changed and those forces aren't you know to those on full forces aren't going back in the box you know that's another shut the door the horses bolted moment right like that 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 shows that e3 as a platform isn't as relevant anymore to to the industry to the biggest people in the industry i think if if, if both companies that really make the biggest console platforms don't feel the need to attend what's supposed to be this essential platform to show their wares. That does that. That's a that's a it, statement. It feels that's a little bit like an Apple stock going to CES, right? I mean, it, and they still don't come back. Well, CES rebounded um, uh, quite a bit actually, and quite now quite a successful event once again after it went through its own crisis a few years ago, well, quite a while ago now. Um, so it does. You know, it's interesting over V three because I don't Sony not being there feels more like a Sony thing than an E three thing, like. I think for if you're PlayStation or Xbox, like E3's is just a you know you go there to to show off, right? It, I don't I, I can understand why only four or five four or five of the biggest companies go, um, but I, and the thing is, even the big companies that say they're not going, they're there. You know, EA are there. They're just not there. <laughs> they're just not giving the company not giving the event any money. And you know, Activision aren't there except you know Call of Duty will be on the Xbox stage. You know, it, it's so they will be. And yeah, and I think A three is A three has a massive problem in that you know the industry moved to the whole fewer bigger better model. Um, so there are fewer games to promote, and if you're if you're a games company like Activision, you've got one game coming out at Christmas. Why the hell do you spend all that money on a booth at E three? Doesn't make sense. You know, just t- do a tie up with Activision, do a tie up with PlayStation, whoever is there, and put it on their show on their booth, and take out a meeting room and invite the press in there. You know, it's all that stuff. I sort of. I completely think E3's business model is broken. I think it's really, really confusing. I think ESA have an impossible task because they've got they've got to try and make everybody happy. I also think though, I actually one of the things that I think with E3, and it's actually me thinking about everything because I've been to so many conversations with people that where the knives are really out for the trade bodies right at the moment across the world. You know, whether it's UK or the US or even in across Europe, everyone seems to have it in for the trade bodies. Whether it's about loot boxes or gaming addiction or how their response to it, or it's about. Um, uh, E3, and I sort of see there, and I, and I kind of think that these, these, you see, they're hit, they're, they're hurt by the fact that so many of their members have different views on it, and their their board is split and this sort of thing. So they're kind of they become paralysed, and then and then obviously they are making some changes. They're making it in some concessions, and they're tiny, but the change is almost demanded overnight. It's like PlayStation are going, we want E3 to be like Comic Con, 
well, maybe E3 will one day be like Comic-Con, but they're not going to flick a switch and turn it into that event in one year. It's going to have to take quite a few iterations to get there, right? They're going to have to take their existing user base on a journey from the event is today to whatever they view the event to be in the future. And I think it, and I think it requires the industry to compromise and work together on it if we're going to get to the end goal, because change takes time. It, it, and I, I, I sit there and I, I sort of, I'm waffling around a few different topics there, but I, I whenever I look at all of the all of the discourse that's going on around what the trade bodies are doing and what the industry's doing and everyone pulling out and everyone disagreeing with each other. I'm like, can we not agree on that, on that one taking to the, if we can't agree on the end goal, can we agree at least on the next step? And, um, and, I, and E3, it feels to me like it's part of that. It does, they do get lost a little bit on it though, because it feels like what E3 is trying to do is to figure out how it can differently represent the games released by the same very small number of companies that go to E3, right? Like, the, and, and that doesn't cover even 90% of the games that, that comprise the industry's output. Like, the, we, we were talking just now about Epic and Tim Sweeney. A lot of that stuff is about how the industry has changed, new business models, free-to-play, the, the, the audience expanded through mobile. E3 recognises almost none of that. Um, it, it's, it's a show defined by the same six companies for the last 20 years. Um, it hasn't really adapted and I don't know that it can adapt because I don't I mean at least I don't know that it can adapt to, to reflect the the demands of the ESA's members because presumably the ESA does represent things like mobile companies um, and mobile gamers don't want a week where they watch trailers that's not how they interact with what they do uh, as a hobby and a pastime it's a very old it's a very old-fashioned thing and it's very root e3 and i think to truly modernize it would be to break it apart it, it focuses on it does focus on a particular group though it focuses on console fans right that's what that's the group it is and that's why sure. losing playstation's a bloke that's losing one third of its i mean it's not one third playstation's the dominant market it's losing a massive chunk of that <laughs> audience if you lose playstation fans although they are still tuning in for ubisoft and ea sure but that you you don't playstation doesn't come along you lose that audience all it takes on it they are they are by they're on a they want to they want, you know, they're on a thread right now. If Xbox or Nintendo decide they're not going, it's yeah, that's a crisis. That's that's a real crisis. Sorry, so Brandon. the thing is, um, we we were talking about Keeley and kind of maybe rolling our eyes a little bit about the impact that him not being involved would have. But I think what Keeley was onto with the Game Awards, which I think have become more and more relevant every year, which is not what I would have expected. But what he has done with the Game Awards has been successful, and he has shown that in this industry, you can sell advertising against advertising. And <laughs> I think in E3, if you just opened it up and let Doritos sponsor the Xbox thing start to finish, have commercial breaks in the middle of the press conferences, just slather corporate logos for non-endemic brands all over the place like i think what you need to do is you need to make it appealing enough to the sony's and the activision blizzards and all that to show up regardless and right now it's it's just cost too much for them to do it so i think if you can defray the costs it, it kind of lowers the threshold that they need to to get over in order to actually agree to appear and if they're all appearing and they're all still using this as their their big marketing thing then you generate all the excitement that you need and and one one other thing i want to i want to point out is like for these companies the publishers like 
there are obligations, I feel, that these companies should feel to be at E3. Sony has a whole raft of third-party publishing partners that it should want to be at E3 to help promote, to, to, to say to them, like, yes, you being on our platform is is a place that you need to be, and we will we want you there, and we will help promote your games for it. And the, the publishers, like, Take-Two shows up at E3 every year, even when it doesn't actually show any games. Because E3 is, it's like half of the ESA's budget for the year comes from E3. If you value the trade group and what it does, then being at E3 and even spending ridiculous prices for the, you know, mandated LACC catering and that awful food they serve, like, like that's, that's not just going for that food. It's also helping out the ESA in accomplishing its mission, which is your mission. Mm. I, and in, you actually, I, we spoke about this last time, Brendan, I remember. The, you're right. I, and the ESA's problem actually is that those press conferences, they don't own them. They don't run them. They're not E3 press conferences. They happen during E3. You know, PlayStation completely owned its press conference when it did them. And Xbox and Nintendo completely own them. ESA can't sell advertising around those events because they don't own those events, and and Sony and, and Microsoft can though. Yeah, they can, and that's and that and it, it, yeah, the, the digital component to E3 isn't owned by E3, and that's uh, and that's what, so when Jeff says things like you know it needs to be more of a digital event, I agree. The problem is it already is a digital event. It's just that it's all owned by the various individual companies. Ubisoft has its show, Xbox has its show, PlayStation has its show, and it's theirs. It doesn't belong to anyone else. I do wonder as well um, what that could mean for the Gamescom opening night live that is hosting, which was quite low-key last year without, like, there wasn't any major announcement or anything. So I do wonder whether or not him not doing E3 means is going to bring more to the table at Gamescom, or maybe not at all. As far as I'm concerned, I really don't care what Chief Keefe does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm with, it's just I'm with you like, on that, it's just, I've been in the industry four years, which is it, which is not a long time, and I've seen so much of Jeff, Keighley, of Jeff Keighley, and to be honest, I'm like, can we have new voices, new people? Like, I'm just tired of looking at the same person year on year for every show, every awards. Like, there's nothing personal, Jeff. You're probably a great guy, but also I'm happy to see other people. Yeah, I I completely agree with you on that, Marie. <laughs> no, no hard feelings, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> right. I think uh, we should probably start wrapping things up. But before we do, uh, I wanted to quick have a quick. Uh, I'm not really sure. A quick fire round. I don't know. Something words. So, based on. That's why you're the host. Look, it's 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 last thing on the Friday. Leave me alone. Yeah, one before we kind of wrap things up, uh, one quick thing is uh, Disney uh, made a little announcement at DICE as well that they wanted the developers to reimagine its IP for video games following the success of Spider-Man and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. So I wanted to kind of nip around quickly and see if everyone or anyone had a suggestion for what they would like as their idealised Disney IP so reimagined I'm, as a video game. I'm genuinely googling Disney IPs right now. Can't think I of can't a single one. So, so I mean, I'm, 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 I'm happy to think. kick things up. <laughs> I'm happy to kick things up. What I want to see is I want to see a Shadow Man prequel. That Shadow Man from Princess and the Frog. I want to oh, see a Shadow Man prequel. Oh my god, yes. Where, 
but it's like a rhythm action game, a bit like Crypt of the Necrodancer. Now that I would play, because Shadow Man is the best Disney villain, and he's got the best song, and he's just the best thing in Disney. And also he's played by Keith David, and who doesn't love Keith David? Yeah. So I, I really tried to figure one out for this, but I actually looked up what does Disney own, and it is frightening how it, much Disney it, it's, 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 it's ridiculous there's an infographic and I was like oh, I'll, just, I'll just find a list of the IP that it owns and pick one and be really smart about it but like it's impossible because it owns so much IP that almost you could just name an IP and Disney probably owns it and the only thing I thought of was not a Disney IP anyway, so that's it. I, I've always <laughs> thought that a uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm point-and-click adventure game would be an absolutely brilliant thing. <laughs> and I would, would have given it to Telltale back in the day, but like, it's not a Disney property and Telltale no longer functions as a studio, so that's my suggestion. I mean, Di- Disney, will, <laughs> Disney will probably buy it soon. I, I, I think that um, the, the one I was going to say was just, it's been suggested before, but uh, get Ron Gilbert to make another Secret of Monkey Island game. Because Ooh, yeah. Disney oh, yeah, owns that because they bought yeah. Lucas Arts. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. They also they own. Uh, when it comes to point and click adventures, I want someone to do a good X Files game, like a good mystery. Oh know, yeah, that'd be. That's Fox. Is that Fox? Yeah, that's, Fox is Disney, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I could get behind that. <laughs> I, I was also I also would have said um, this was before Alien Isolation. I always thought the Frictional, the people that did Soma and um, Amnesia, could have done a really good Alien game. But I think they would have probably ended up with uh, Alien Isolation, but much, much shorter, which would have been a better game. <laughs> but yeah. So give, give Frictional Alien, the Alien. I think they should, take, about... uh, they should take yeah. um, Pirates of the Caribbean and set it into a shared world where loads of players can like run a ship and then just sail around and have fun, yeah. drink, roll, uh-huh. play music. <laughs> I think that'd be a really good game idea. Yeah, I think it would actually. Could call it Ocean yeah. of Ne'er Do Wells. <laughs> and then there was actually like years ago, I think Silicon Knights was working on an X-Men game that was supposed to be in the vein of Mass Effect. And the fact that Silicon Knights may not be that great developer aside. I actually think that's like a really interesting concept. Um, like an X-Men game where you are like an, an X-Man of, of uh, you know, not a, not a Kemp canonical X-Man, but like a new one. Pick your own power and just have like a story-based RPG based in that, in that world with all of those different characters. Yeah. That could be cool. Well, I think I could get behind that. Apparently they also own uh, Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. Oh, uh, there, there was actually a half-decent... So, you know there was a half-decent Buffy game back on the Xbox. Was there? Yep. Yeah, pretty good. It's like oh, a side-scrolling beat-em-up type, type deal, like <laughs> Streets of Rage type thing. But yeah, it's actually pretty good. How about good. Gargoyles? Did they ever make a, a decent game out of that? <laughs> a lot of people fondly you remember that series, I find. But no one on this podcast, what? apparently. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what are we talking about? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I, I tried watching an episode of Gargoyles recently uh, because, you know, of its sort of uh, cult status. And... This is coming from someone who loves like kids animated shows like Adventure Time and things like that. And yeah, I I don't get the appeal of Gargoyles at all. No, but seriously, what is it? Though? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I actually think. Speaking of Keith David, I think maybe Keith David is in He's Gargoyles. In um, he, he works a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously. He's great. But yeah, he's a. Yeah, he he is in Gargoyles. What um, the fuck is yeah, this? it's like. Sorry, it's, I'm googling it. I have no idea what this is. <laughs> It's about some gargoyles and like they yeah. fight crime or of something. Great, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, and looking through all of this stuff as well, I just, 
I realised actually the games have just been ripping off IP that Disney now owns for generations anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Like I was, oh, an Indiana Jones game, that would be nice, but then that's just Tomb Raider and nice. Uncharted, isn't it? So like, <laughs> I just kept on coming upon that again and again and again. Yeah, I would. Um, I was going to joke that they should um, take some of those World War II propaganda cartoons and, and do a gaming <laughs> adaptation of those, but we already have Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> I'd... I'd kind of actually like to see sort of like Mickey Mouse reimagined as like a washed up sort of Hollywood dirtbag who's like path past the pr- a bit like a kind of Bojack Horseman style thing. But again, may- maybe like sort of a-, a nuanced, intimate sort of narrative driven sort of exploration game. And you kind of explore Mickey's like dark yeah, past. Like all-, all of the terrible things he did for fame. It could be like a walking simulator. I would play that. Where you-, you just tri- yeah, trigger absolutely. memories when you, uh, when you reach certain parts <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, well, it's only a matter of time until we reach the Disney singularity, where everything in the world is owned by Disney, and we all become Disney, and we will live harmoniously in Disneyland 2.0. Um, and Disney can then make games about our lives, and we can play those, and it will be a wholesome, family-friendly time for everyone. Um, <laughs> are, are you tired? Uh, and with that thought... <laughs> Uh, and with that thought, I'll, I'll leave you with that to kind of mull over. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's it for this week. Uh, you can find the podcast and probably where you found it this week. Um, maybe you can find it somewhere different next week. Who knows? Treat yourself. <laughs> right, that's enough of that. Right, goodbye, everyone. Bye.